A really warm welcome to the latest Clear Cruise podcast back after our summer recess. Well, we return from that recess rested and ready and excited about the opportunities that lay ahead in the remainder of 2021, but also, of course, uh, any opportunities that the new year will provide taking us into 2022. We have two very special guests on our podcast this month. First up will be Sarah Macefield. She is a cruise and travel journalist and indeed a friend of Clear. And I'll be chatting to Sarah all about destinations, what's up and coming and the importance of destination in the choice of the right cruise for the right customer. I'm also chatting to Joe Ruxton. She is the founder of Ocean Generation and is joining our podcast courtesy of Aurora Expeditions. And I was chatting to Joe all about the huge impact that she's had on our attitudes to single use plastics. And we'll hear from Joe a little bit later on. But for now, enjoy our podcast. So when we thought about who could join us to talk about destinations, there was only really one person. So Sarah, thank you very much indeed for giving up your time to chat to us. Um, you, we should start actually talking about some of those summer seacations that have been happening. So these are cruise ships on domestic itineraries around the UK. Have you been able to, to enjoy some of them? Yes, I've been lucky enough to get on three of them, actually. The first one in May and then, and then others, two others since then. Um, and yes, it was, for a start, it was lovely getting back on a cruise ship again. Um, in some ways, it felt a little strange, especially with the new protocols, but in other ways, once we're at sea and you're looking at the wake and the view, you almost feel as though you've never been away because you soon slot into cruising life. Um, and then, of course, going around the UK, which is somewhere, I think, in previous years, in the rush to sail off to all yeah. these destinations further afield, you tend to forget what's on your doorstep. And this summer has, I think, made us all look at what's around the UK, the various ports, and appreciate them. Um, and certainly, I, I mean, I went to, okay, on one of the cruises, um, well, the first one, I went to Portland, um, and so I'd never been there before, so Weymouth Bay, that was, you know, that, that was all very nice and interesting, but the second cruise, we actually went to Belfast and Liverpool, and two cities I'd never been to before. Oh, really? I want to go back. Yeah, fascinating, really fascinating, actually. Um, I mean, in Belfast, for example, we went to the Titanic Museum, which was just brilliant. One of the yeah. best, best museums I've ever been to. And they've sort of got a reconstruction of what it was like to be on Titanic. We're in a room. It's like a cinema room with like, um, I don't know, 280 degree or 270 degree sort of <clears throat> screen around us. And it had moving footage. And it started off, you're starting off, I did write about it, you start off with the engines and the pistons all going all around you. And then the film moves. So it's as though you're travelling up through oh, the decks. Wow. And then you're sort of going through the crew decks. And then the decks get more and more lavish as you go into the guest decks. And then you finish up, you know, you start to hear a piano tinkling as you're getting into more of the guest areas. And then it's, um, oh, goodness, then it's a string quartet and, and it all becomes oh, wow. more lavish. And you're going through the lounges and the first class areas. And then you end up in the bridge. But that is amazing. And it was it was a really good, really good museum. And then sort of seeing the city. And then Liverpool, Liverpool. Yeah, <laughs> really interesting. I mean, it's so much more than the Beatles. You know, you've got you've got such historic sort of things there. Um, 
beautiful buildings and not just the lovely three graces which make it beautiful sailing in and sailing out but going around the financial district and of course you've got all the the old maritime links yeah but then you know you're you're learning about things you never really knew for example i never knew that the american civil war officially ended in liverpool because that is where the last confederate ship in 1865 is where the last confederate ship actually surrendered which i never knew i never knew so, who knew who knew that the UK could unlock so many interesting things? But it's funny, you know, we were just talking about domestic cruising. And of course, you went straight to some of the great ports of call that the ships have visited. And presumably that's how customers think when they've come back from a cruise, say, to the Mediterranean or the Caribbean. They remember the destination. So how important is destination to most customers? Oh, goodness. I think totally, really. I mean, it's always said, isn't it, that the cruise is sold on the destination and then people start looking at the cruise lines and then yeah. the ships within that. And yeah, I can see that. I really can. Because it is it is vital. If you want to go to a certain area of the world, destination dictates. Um, and there is so much variety now. There are so many more... <sighs> places that you can visit on cruise ships and with the differing sizes of cruise ships as well. I mean, we are even with what's happened with the pandemic, with with obviously cruising being suspended for, you know, at least a year. um, You're still seeing the development of itineraries and you're still seeing now interesting destinations that are starting to appear in programmes again. Um, So so I must say, I, I think there is, you know, it will become even more important, actually. And when we talk to people who've never cruised before, those that new to cruise group, uh, we often talk about the Caribbean for winter sun and the Mediterranean for the summer. Are they good places to start for those who've never cruised before? Yes, really, because of the because of the choice that they offer. I mean, the Mediterranean. I mean, that's for a start. That is so easy to get to from the UK. You know, you you can cruise straight from Southampton or other British ports makes it very easy it takes a couple of days to get down to say Gibraltar where you then go into the Mediterranean but again that opens itself up to a market of people that don't like flying or perhaps people traveling with young children who don't want to fly or older customers that also are reluctant so I mean that that's an ideal you know an ideal destination that in that regard and just the choice, the choice of countries, you know, whether you're going to North Africa, whether you're going to the south of France and then into Italy or Greece. Um, and again, if you're flying, the flights are not too long. You know, you can get down to Barcelona, Barcelona in under two hours and then you're straight on the ship. So so it is that flexibility, um, I think, for the Mediterranean. Caribbean. I love the Caribbean. I know. Obviously, <laughs> You have got the eight-hour flight, Um, you know, either whether you're flying to Miami and cruising from there or flying directly into the islands like Barbados. Um, But if you're fine with the flight, I mean, yes, I mean, you can cruise in the Caribbean all year round, but obviously the winter is the prime time. That's the time when all the snowbirds or people from the northern hemisphere, chilly winter, we all flock for the for the warm temperatures. Um, and again, the small islands makes it very easy to get off and explore. So I think those are, yeah, a, a really, really good destinations. I think one of the things that's really interesting about both of those destinations, we often think about those hero ports, those big ticket ports that really draw people in. But often it's some of those smaller 
less known ports of call, that can be the most memorable. So for me, Mediterranean, for example, KOTOR, I thought, was somewhere I hadn't planned for, hadn't expected, but was blown away by it. So the Med is full of places like that. Yes, very much, you know, the nooks and crannies. And yeah. again, in both the Caribbean and yeah. also the Mediterranean, because they are such key areas, you do get that choice of ship. Um, and thus you get the choice of ship size. So with the smaller ships, you are going to get into those smaller ports. And so the Mediterranean, you might be going off to the Aeolian Islands. You might be going to um, Corsica or, you know, Sorrento, for example, and Neapolitan Riviera. And the Greek islands, I mean, that's an ideal place because you've got the big party on Mykonos and Santorini, where the bigger ships go. But then you may be going to sort of Patmos or you know, some of the smaller, tinier islands that really just the smaller ships can get into. So again, that can bring a real contrast of experiences. And the Caribbean, you know, instead of going to maybe St. Kitts, where the bigger ships go, you might go to the sister island, Nevis, um, which again can only take the smaller ships. Um, so uh, you're getting you're getting a sort of a different a different experience and it's 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 sort of much more sort of home particularly in the Caribbean much more sort of homespun I think if you're just getting off and there are a few hundred of you um, because I mean some of the ports like St Thomas for example are quite Americanized and more developed um, you know if you go into the British Virgin Islands for example going to Virgin Gorda instead of Tortola I mean Tortola is not huge but Virgin Gorda is even more of a sort of a smaller cruise, you know, cruise port. So, yes, there's lots of tiny alternatives that can give you a completely different experience on a small ship than you would get on a larger vessel. You, you've been writing about travel and cruise specifically for a long time. Are there any particular ports or destinations that took you by surprise or that you loved more than you'd even thought possible? Oh, crikey. Um <laughs> Well, Sorry to put you on the spot, but um <laughs> no, that's fine. I mean, like you, Couture, I just thought was amazing yeah. because obviously you're sailing in. I think it's the biggest fjord in southern Europe. So you've got all the mountains around, and then tucked at the very end is this beautiful medieval walled sort of town. So that was lovely. Another surprise, actually, on the French Riviera. Um, you know, everyone's heard of Cannes and Saint-Tropez and all those sort of headline destinations, but I'd never really before being involved with cruising, heard of Villefranche, which is just right. along from Nice. And so, of course, that's easy if you want to go and explore because you can go off to Monte Carlo one way or Nice the other way. Um, but it's in a lovely bay. Uh, the time I was there, you know, we, we moored in the bay and then it was the tender into port. But lovely, you know, it's a lovely little sort of um, stone town with all the little alleyways and also on the beach from what I remember it was a sort of beautiful curved beach as well um and it just had the real feeling of, of the south of France about it actually the real sort of Côte d'Azur so and it, it it wasn't a big city or anything like that even though the bigger ships go in there it, it never felt crowded and it always just felt sort of more more naturally French I think than maybe some of these more international resorts so so I mean that yes I must say that was one that sort of stood out and some of the Greek islands you know yeah you know sort of um as I said Patmos was, was a lovely one that we went to um Mykonos though it's hardly small but that's yeah that's you know they're all good Santorini so. yeah 
I love I love the Greek islands. There's always such a lovely atmosphere. It feels like on those islands, and you really get absorbed very quickly into Greek kind of culture. I do I do love it for that reason. Just quickly, we've only really talked about the Mediterranean and the Caribbean. I know there's an entire planet to talk about, and we're really short on time. But just quickly, the Baltic region is the other kind of obvious destination for those who want to sail ex UK or close at home cruising. How yes. great is a Baltic cruise? <laughs> you know I've never actually been on one have you not <laughs> no it's on my wish list um but having said that yes it really does open up that area um and you know the star the star in port really is St Petersburg yeah. um so and yet on the way up there you're going you know you're, you're going sort of through some of the Scandinavian capitals as well that you can sort of call at and then onward from there you're sort of going through I think Tallinn and places like that so some of the sort of former you know the, the sort of Baltic states um, and you've got a lot of history you've got a lot of beautiful architecture and of course then when you get to St Petersburg that probably as I said is like the jewel in the crown because you have got the hermitage and the various palaces and just the experience of, of the sort of you know the Russian life and the history um, so yes yeah, I mean it sort of overflows overflows with it really. We're spoiled for choice, that's for sure. But um, <laughs> And I can't wait to visit all of those places, whether it's for a second time, a third time, or for the first time. But um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for taking time out, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you, Andy. So my very special guest is Joe Ruxton, who is a conservationist, ocean advocate, and the founder of Ocean Generation. Joe, thank you very much indeed for joining me. It's a pleasure. Um, that's quite a list of things. So how how did you get into conservation? Conservation has almost always been in my blood. Um, I'm an RAF brat, um, <laughs> lived around the world um, in different places, including six different islands. And so the sea has always been in close proximity. Um, I ended up studying, um, well, biological sciences. I wanted to do marine biology, but back in the day, and we're going back quite a long way. Marine biology wasn't offered at many um, universities. So um, I just chose the units that focused on marine and uh, marine topics. And um, it's, it's just, I've, I've loved swimming. I've loved snorkeling. Um, I lived in Singapore as a child and it was when Singapore was still part of Malaysia. So weekends were spent just driving over the causeway to gorgeous beaches there and uh, discovering the the creatures that were there it was just it was just something that was always part of me and I actually get claustrophobic when I'm somewhere away from the ocean I mean I, I remember on a WWF trip to Nepal for a meeting I couldn't think what was wrong it's like I couldn't settle and then I realized it's because I'm no, nowhere near the coast as gorgeous as it was <laughs> and do you and the ocean is obviously a really important part in your life because diving is also a, an important part I know of your mm. life but is there a lack of understanding, do you think, of the importance of the oceans? Oh, goodness, absolutely. And it, it's something that I find very puzzling now. The more I learn, the more I've been exposed to the fact that the ocean always takes a back seat. And if you think growing up at school and even right through to my biology degree, we were always told that our oxygen came from the forest. You know, they are the lungs of the planet. And nobody told me that actually more than half of it comes from the ocean and it is such an important um, place for carbon dioxide to be to be um, absorbed and 
it's so important in the whole climate um, that we're in now with, with climate change being such a threat, the ocean has to be healthy because it's keeping us alive. But we didn't know that. And I have four grandchildren and whilst sitting in a rock pool recently with one of them, we were looking at the little bubbles coming out from the kelp that was, uh, that was in the pool with us. And I said, look at that, it's, it's producing all the oxygen for us. And she says, well, Nana, the oxygen comes from the forests. And, I, and of course I said, well, yes, it does, but more of it comes from the ocean. So it's still not being taught in schools. And I think if people realized that the ocean is literally our life support system, there might be a bit more interest in keeping it healthy. Uh, one of the, one of the, I guess the profile of oceans and, and um, there's obviously been this movement on plastics uh, of which you played a rather large part in that, but the BBC and some of their natural history programming presumably helped raise that awareness. It did, um, but not until later on. One of the reasons I'd, I'd worked at the BBC for 12 years doing mostly underwater um, films, but I was getting quite frustrated because we were portraying the oceans as if they were full of fish and full of life and the coasts were clean and you know, everything was perfect. And yet that wasn't what we were seeing when we were on location. And I thought, it, you know, we need to tell the truth because if we don't, people will continue to treat the oceans as if they are a recipient for all of our trash. They will take everything living out of it. They'll, they'll destroy the coastlines and pollute them. And I just, I just thought it, if, if we keep doing this, then the oceans are just going to get worse. And so um, I left to make my own film about that because every time I, I tried to get a conservation message in, it was taken out in the final edit. And the Blue Planet crew were just coming together at the time I was leaving Blue Planet 2 because I'd worked on Blue Planet 1. And um, I was getting interested in the plastics thing then and I was talking to them about it and there was just no interest. And it wasn't, in fact, until after our film came out and Sir David Attenborough featured in our film, he had watched one of the um, late um, versions, one of the rough cuts of the environmental um, film that was in Blue Planet 2 and plastic wasn't in there. And he said, why haven't you got plastic in here? Haven't you watched The Plastic Ocean? And uh, as a result of that, it went in there. And look at the result. It was such an incredible catalyst for getting that message out there. And that's what I think the BBC would be best at because they've got this global audience. They've got access to incredible archive and really amazing um, camera crews who are, who are just so professional. Uh, and yet it wasn't being used for the purpose that I believe it should have been used for. And things have changed, which is great. And, and that change that you mentioned, because our awareness of it and also the actions that lots of businesses and lots of individuals took around plastic specifically, how long is that before uh, before that happens, will we see a change in, in the oceans and the quality of the oceans? That's a, that's a very interesting question, actually, because looking at plastic production and the predictions by the plastics industry for how it's going to increase, I think there's going to be quite a lag between the message getting there and behavioural change, because plastic will be continuing to go into the ocean until everybody's on board with it and legislation is global. Um, the other thing is something I learned when I was in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, um, you know, for our filming, was that when plastic leaves our shores, it gets swept up into ocean currents, all sorts of ocean currents, but there are five main ones which are circular. And to get from our shores to the centre of the ocean takes about 20 years. 
And during that time, the plastic becomes brittle because it's exposed to salt water, it's sunlight and it's wave action and it starts to break up into little pieces. So when you collect plastic in the centers of the ocean, it tends to be microplastics unless it's just come off a ship. So we were there in 2009. So that was sort of looking at the results from 20 years previously of plastic that was on its way there. So, you know, what's going to happen in the next 20 years with plastic that's still coming out of our river mouths and uh, being blown in and coming down the storm drains and so on. So I think it'll be a while, but I'm, I'm, I am hopeful because the changes I've seen in legislation, in behavior, in awareness, and the way that producers are getting on board with it and looking at different ways to use plastic. I'm not anti-plastic. It's, it's, um, you know, it's an amazing, it's an amazing material, but it should never have been used for single use items apart from, of course, in medicine. Sure. So, so plastics, we've obviously made a great progress there. Are there other key challenges, do you think, for sort of the next five to 10 years for the oceans? Excluding plastic? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. The, the, the problem with, um, with global warming and, uh, and the climate change problem is that um, the oceans are getting more acidic and because of the amount of carbon that's dissolving into the oceans and forming carbonic acid. So the animals that, that have shells or the larvae that are laying down um, skeletons, they're going to be compromised because of the, the levels in the ocean getting more and more acidic. Um, and as well as that, the sea temperatures changing, um, that's causing all sorts of problems for, for coral larvae and, and for um, marine life in general. I mean, one degree sounds tiny, but it makes a massive difference. Um, some of the work that you're doing is with Aurora Expeditions, of course, yeah. who um, are working with you as an ambassador, I guess, in many ways. So how is, how is that relationship? Well, for me, it was... I was so honoured to have been selected. When I think of all the all the women who were involved in marine conservation, um, the fact that I was was chosen as one of them um, was was a huge surprise. And and yes, as I said, the the biggest honour. Um, the ship itself is phenomenal. The purpose of the ship, the fact that it is named after one of my heroines and somebody who was a heroine, you know, for me growing up. Um, is so appropriate and the potential for what we can do to use the ship to get the message out there, to take people to some of the most amazing places and learn about ocean protection. Um, it's phenomenal and what an opportunity. I, I, I still can't believe it. Yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to travel with you. I have to say <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> as you say, it goes to some, some amazing places. Uh, we were also chatting before that you've, you've traveled fairly extensively. Um, are there any sort of places that you're most excited about traveling to over the coming 12 months? Well, you know, after lockdown, I'd, I'd be happy to go <laughs> on a bus somewhere. <laughs> um, uh, yes, where do I start? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I've been lucky enough to go to Antarctica um, for a BBC film, and it was the most phenomenal experience. And we were very lucky to be hosted by HMS Endurance, wow. and uh, and they had helicopters on board, so we were able to do um, aerial filming and so on. Um, that was, you know, such a privilege. But I don't think you can ever get enough of Antarctica. And we visited one place, which was the peninsula. The place I would love to go to is South Georgia. 
Um, the, I'd love to see the, the emperor penguins for a start. We, we saw three species of penguin, which was amazing, but um, to, to go somewhere like South Georgia, I think would just be the icing on the cake. Um, so that's one place. Um, Oh, I, I would love to go to uh, Western Papua, um, anywhere in the Coral Triangle, uh, to do some uh, of the phenomenal diving. It's it's the most prolific place for corals and everything that's associated with them. So I, I would love to do that. Um, I've never been to Raja Ampat. That's uh, that's on my list. And um, gosh, yes, there's there's lots of places. Galapagos and uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> It's Let me a long just sit list. Down and list them all for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm completely the same. I think a lack of travel over the last eighteen months has kind of made us realise that we're very lucky to have been fortunate enough to find travel so easily. Um, but we're yes. we're all very excited about being allowed out again in many ways. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for talking to us. Congratulations on your recognition from Aurora Expeditions. It's, a, it's as you say, it's a great uh, recognition of your amazing work. And thank you for all the work that you've been doing to protect our oceans. Thank you so much, Andy. Thank you. Well, that's it for another Clear Cruise podcast this month. So a huge thank you to our special guest this month. That's Joe Ruxton and Sarah Macefield. Uh, we will be back, of course, with more special guests next month. Uh, but in the meantime, remember, you can keep up to date with all things cruise and all things clear via our website at cruising.org. And here in the UK and Ireland, we will be back on the road with live in-person events in November in both Southampton on the 4th of November and in Dublin on November the 11th. So we look forward to seeing you then. And in the meantime, stay well and we'll see you on our next podcast.